0: Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandro, the podcast for wine fanatics who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, her favorite wines.
1: Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Clarice Turner, who is featured in Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. Clarice is the president of Joseph Phelps Vineyards. Clarice, thank you so much for joining us today. Curious, um, we're going to talk about your career. Uh, as I just told folks, you're the president of Joseph Phelps Vineyards now. But before we talk about that, tell me what was your first professional paying job? Oh, boy.
2: (laughs) I put myself through 10 years of school, undergrad, and grad, so I had a lot of paying jobs early on, but uh, I was recruited by PepsiCo um, straight out of um, graduate school, Uh, and I was with PepsiCo uh, in the beverage and marketing international, whatever, divisions for 16 years, so that out of grad school was my very first First. professional um, endeavor, if you will. Although I learned a ton from working in the restaurant business and hospitality and wine early in my career for sure.
1: And what would you say is uh, the time in your career or who, I, who gave you your biggest break?
2: I would say it was actually when I was hired with PepsiCo. I was very, very fortunate to be hired into the, they called it the time Advanced Management Recruit Program. Which meant that, you know, you had a certain degree, which was an MBA Um, from an accredited school and you were able to just launch straight into management level um, roles. And so that meant that I moved five times in 10 years. I was promoted basically every two years and I had different functional responsibilities and in different companies in Pepsi's portfolio. So it was tremendous experience for me. I was extremely lucky and I had, I really didn't contemplate. I had no idea at the time that I was hired how actually lucky I was because their training programs are just incredible and the opportunities are incredible.
1: Was it because you had the MBA that made you the best candidate for that program or? Yeah, possibly. I think also um, I had
2: done graduate work in China and I had um, had my own company in China. And they were really doing a lot of work in China at the time, too. So I'm sure that probably made me, uh, you know, attractive as a candidate. Um, And then I'd done a lot of uh, work between food and beverage, too, which was obviously the core of their business.
1: You've worked for a number of corporations, uh, but today you're working in wine for the first time ever.
2: Yes. Well, I mean, not really. (laughs) It's the first time I've had a A president's role in a winery, for sure. Yes. Uh, But no, I actually, uh, back in the day, brought wine to Starbucks. Okay. Um, And, you know, my dad grew grapes growing up. Um, So, you know, he and his Italian buddies um, I sort of was all around me my whole life. So, um, and obviously being in the restaurant business, hospitality business, you're constantly around it in the on-premise environment. So, and I'm also um, on the board of Delicato Vineyards, too, so... I've kind of been surrounded by it my whole life. This is the first time I've actually really worked for a winery, which is fantastic. Um, it directly feels like, it, yeah, directly. It feels like there's so many things that have you know sort of come full circle. Um, I've been a wine judge for many years, and you know I have I've been a collector for many years, and just been uh, involved in it forever. So it's wonderful to be at the helm and have this much business experience, right, to be able to uh, help complement what's been uh, going very, very well for a very long period of time.
1: And I think that's a good, uh, a good point. You do have all this great experience. What do you think that experience is going to allow you to bring to Joseph Phelps?
2: Well, I think it's both the short and long-term view. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed tremendously at PepsiCo Um, was the franchising business and, um, you know, the family-owned nature of that and being able to help nurture future generations and not only talent but also businesses. Um, So you have a short and longer-term plan, which, you know, helps businesses endure generations. Um, If you study statistics of family-run businesses in particular, most of them fail between the second and third generations. Um, And I'm determined. (laughs) (laughs) And I have been in in many other situations um, in the past that, you know, if there's a solid plan in place and and people are clear about what they want, um, then helping to kind of guide how you're going to get there is absolutely critical to being able to ensure that the business endures for generations to come. If you look at, you know, sort of models of in Italy and France and some of the older European um, families who have been able to do that. Um, you know, one of the things that if you talk to them that they're either their parents or their grandparents or somebody in the family had a very clear plan of, of how to bring that to life. Um, so I've, I've been fortunate in that I've been able to do that in the past and that's one of the things, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's not just the family and the development of the future generations, but it's also the development of the business.
1: And you're kind of t- going to take the best practices from those other families, maybe.
2: Yeah, right? totally. So. And, and the business practices, too, in terms so. of strategic planning and, you know, resource planning over a number of years and, you know, just sort of risk analysis and right. best and worst case um, scenario planning and trying to figure out what do you need today to ensure that the generations into the future, right, have a viable business.
1: Is there one person that has inspired you throughout your career? oh boy that's a tough one um
2: it's probably between my grandmother and both of my parents um I've had several people professionally that I've been very I've been very fortunate to have a lot of great mentors Um, I sought that out to some degree because I really didn't have any in business but my grandmother was the hardest working person I've ever known and she not a day in her life was negative and she had you know, her, 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 her husband died when uh, she had five children. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was just before the Depression started. So um, talk about taking lemons and making lemonade. Right. And she was a great example my whole life.
1: That's wonderful. Well, getting back to Joseph Phelps, how much wine do you make there? How many cases? Um, it's 60, a quiz. About 60,000 <laughs> cases. I'm sorry, sixty, sixty thousand. 60,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. And your flagship wine is? Insignia.
2: Um, Joe Phelps was the very first person to bottle and uh, sell a blend, uh, Bordeaux-style red blend,
1: in Napa Valley. And why, what makes that so special for Joseph Phelps? A one that had never been done. But I mean, today, now it's done by many. Yes,
2: um, it's very unique every year. Um, mm-hmm. It is the best of what Mother Nature gives us. It's all a state fruit, uh, so our winemakers are very particular and very meticulous throughout um, the year, intending um, to you know everything that could possibly uh, add up to the best quality outcome that we could have. Um, but when it's you know in the tanks and there, and then in the barrels and they're tasting it, um, it truly is the best of what all of our vineyards have produced that year. So it's a little bit different every year. Very similar to Bordeaux, obviously it's a Bordeaux style blend. So some years it could have uh, Merlot, some years it may not. Some years it may be dominantly Cabernet Sauvignon, some years it may not. Um, it just depends, right, on how the the juice is tasting. And as they're blending it, what they feel um, is the best, absolute best blend of those juices every single year. So it's really cool in that it's never going to be exactly the same, a little bit unique every single year. And that's what makes it truly special and um, ageable, actually, too, because um, we're able to get the structure um, so that the wine can really hold up every year which is a bit different and you know I'm not a winemaker so <laughs> I don't know um, a great deal about the the technical pieces of it except that I know that our wine ages um, beyond the number of years that most people uh, would expect um, for a blend of its sort in terms of being you know on the palate um, when you taste it even you know four years in it's very very drinkable most years um, and you know 30 Plus years down the line it's still amazing wine
1: well that's awesome really so I imagine that as your flagship wine you don't make a lot of it so if someone's interested in getting a bottle what's the best way for them to do that
2: (laughs) Uh, well you can always go on our website of course josephphelps.com we have uh, direct uh, to consumer and online um, and then many many restaurants Um, throughout the world carry it as well as wine shops throughout the world so um, your local wine shop may have it if they have uh, a good selection uh, of Napa Valley wines especially collectors yeah
1: let's get back to your career top moments in your career so far Mm -hmm.
2: there's a couple mostly have to do with the the people on my teams over the years um, who I've watched grow and develop and do amazing things, and they're still doing amazing things, and I'm pretty much in touch with most people that were on my teams over the years, you know, and or peers, so those are my top moments, Is that's what gets me out of bed every day, is the people Is there component. one in
1: particular that comes to mind that you can share?
2: I would embarrass her, but she's president of a very large company, about 700 times the size of my company
1: right now. <laughs> well, your company now is very small. <laughs> yes, but this is a very large company. Yes, okay. Anyhow, I'm extremely proud of her. Yes. <laughs> I,
2: don't to, I don't want to embarrass her. Um, I would say the other thing probably that I'm extremely proud of um, when I was at Starbucks and I was leading the food business, um, which is a $3 billion business, um, converting the food over to um, having no artificial ingredients, which I know fundamentally shifted food supply chain in the U.S. because it takes, big, um, it takes big companies like that to make a shift to something like that so that supply will catch up with demand. Um, so that was a very, um, proud moment on my part, because I knew that we together were making a difference and Howard Schultz used to always, uh, challenge us to use our scale for good. And so I took that very seriously and I know that I made an impact myself, my team wasn't just me, obviously, but that's definitely a proud accomplishment for me of something that I feel, um, actually made a difference.
1: Absolutely. You already mentioned... You know that your grandmother and your parents influenced your career, um, and were they? You didn't really say who your mentor was. Do you have one standout mentor in your? Oh career? boy,
2: I have I have many. Um, probably uh, early on in my career at PepsiCo was Julia Stewart, um, who went Did on to be CEO of uh, Applebee's and then formed Dine Equity. Um, and she's been, you know, just, uh, rock solid in terms of, uh, being there for me throughout different parts of my career. She had kids. I had kids, you know, she moved <laughs> across the country. I moved across, I mean, you know, our, our careers were following similar, similar paths. So she'd had a lot of great experiences. Then she was very willing to share her insights.
1: Was there any advice that, um, stands out that you received from her? Take your time.
2: Think, think through things really carefully. You don't always know all the answers, even though they think you think you do. Especially early on in my career.
1: When do you feel like you have reached success, or do you think you already have? I like think it depends on
2: how you define it. Right. I agree. <laughs> yes. No. I've, I'm. I don't. I wouldn't say success, but I would say um, satisfaction. Um, and I would say that I reached that a very long time ago.
0: Want more on today's interview? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. It's available on our website at winecountrywomen.com.
1: Okay, well, let's talk about your life here in the Napa Valley, which I'm sure is satisfying as well. Definitely. We are sitting in your home, which is perched on a perfect... Little Null, you are a native Californian. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell folks where you grew up, sure. a little bit about your, your childhood and Yep, so background. I grew up in Ukiah, California,
2: which is a couple hours north of here. Actually, a little little village outside of Ukiah called Talmadge, which most people never heard of. Um, it was pretty much um, uh, indigenous people and Italians when I lived there. I didn't figure out it wasn't Italian until I was about 13 um, because it was just all about wine and tomatoes and, you know, food and great fun. It was a wonderful place to grow up. Um, my mom's family came from the Basque part of Spain, and so I'm ninth generation Californian. I mentioned that. Um, they were on the Portola expedition, the Anza expedition that founded San Diego, Monterey, and San Francisco. Oh, wow. And my grandfather was given uh, a rancho because of his service to the Spanish government. Um, Rancho Novato, which he sold, and then he later bought um, Rancho Senel, which is Hopland and the area I grew up in. My dad's family, similarly, they were all pioneers. So long, long, long history. Um, I grew up in a bucolic place. It was incredibly gorgeous. Uh, Obviously, still is... um, and just, you know, was very, always very grateful um, for the environment and, and the nature around me um, and that sort of village nature of things that people were very um, helpful and kind
1: and stuck together, which I talked about that in the book. Right. And, and you mentioned that your father was a grape grower, mm. right? That was his hobby,
2: right? <laughs>
1: With his friends, yes. Okay. Amongst other things, that was one of the things
2: he did. It wasn't the only one because you couldn't really make that much money at it, you know, unless you'd owned the farmland for a long time. Um, it's not like it is now, where you get top dollar for, you know. you still Mendocino; it's a little difficult, but um, it's very different than it was back then.
1: Well, the um, correlation I was going to make is um, you were surrounded by grapevines then, and you're surrounded by grapevines now so you can't escape them <laughs> <laughs> apparently not Apparently not. I spent not.
2: many many years searching for a house with vi- vi- views of vineyards before I actually remembered that I grew up with one and
1: perhaps that's the reason that, <laughs> that I was on it. this quest <laughs> <laughs> yes but you found this perfect spot absolutely and, yes and um and why don't you tell folks ab- about this this spot and and what you've built here
2: it's, it's a very special place. It's had been in the same family for a number of years, over 50 years. Um, and my husband just and I happened to be standing on it when it fell out of escrow. So we felt like, you know, it was meant to be in some ways. Um, it's on the top of a knoll, like you mentioned, with a great view of uh, San Pablo Bay in San Francisco and Mount Diablo, Mount Tam in downtown Napa. So we have sunrise to sunset, and it's just, you know, we see such beautiful vistas every single day. It doesn't matter what the weather is, um, and you know we're we're very grateful that it is in our care to take care of for the next 50 years because we are not moving again.
1: I wouldn't. I would never leave here. <laughs> it's it really is a spectacular place, not only your home but the views Thank everywhere. You. And you have all these great windows um, in your home that allow you to enjoy all those views so easily i have to ask the question i mean although we kind of know the answer napa valley has is made up of so many different towns and like Cal mountain and spring mountain I and mean, there's a variety of places you could have chose to live why did you choose carneros uh, well, my husband and I wanted sort of opposite things.
2: <laughs> he right. wanted to live way out in the country oh. and I wanted mm-hmm. to live closer to town. Right. Uh, because I love to just, you know, meet my friends for dinner or go see music or whatever. Um, and like I said, we just happened to, to stop, you know, our, our, dear friend, real estate agent brought us here and she said, I just want to hear the conversation you guys have when you're standing here. Cause I think this is a combination of what you want. she was a thousand
1: percent right that's ultimately how we landed here so after you came here there was no need to look anywhere no no not at all
2: and we've been looking for five years oh wow we've lived in sonoma county for many years
1: okay and so we loved
2: um this area i've always loved the carneros okay so
1: So i didn't i didn't realize that you had been looking for so long oh yeah well let's talk about the inside of your house how would you describe your style Your interior style. Well, this was a
2: 1942 farmhouse. Mm
1: -hmm. um, Well, it doesn't look like a farmhouse now. (laughs) We bought
2: it. Well, I love, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I've collected so many things just traveling over the years that you could see that there's a lot of things from Asia in here. I carried those things back on various trips from Asia when I lived there. Um, And I just admire Asian art and, and artistry. Um, and then I also, you know, love old world sort of European things too. My dad's family was Scottish. My mom's family was Spanish and French. So you've got elements of all of that. And then you have the practicality of, you know, it's, <laughs> we're, we're sort of, we live on a farm, right? right. It's like it's dirt out there and right. it rains, we've got <laughs> yes. big dogs and they bring it right. all in the house. So you've got the practicality of wood floors and, you know, dark carpets that, uh, and dark furniture so that. Um, you can live with it and uh, not constantly be worrying about the effect on the interior of your house and of course lots of windows because of the views and fireplaces
1: your entertaining style how would you describe it Uh, or do you
2: have a tip that's unique to you i like to invite lots of people and let them help themselves (laughs) there you go there you have it lots of lots of things and a big buffet and you know amazing wines and and uh, people usually just jump in and you know i don't have formal um, things that often i just like to invite
1: a lot of great friends and
2: good music and the rest takes care of itself
1: there you go well i have to ask we're in we're in wine country when you're at home what do you like to drink other than joseph phelps wine
2: (laughs) oh boy um, bubbles if you know I love bubbles champagne and uh, sparkling okay. uh, is one of my faves and then you know if, if I have to have a mixed drink I'll have a martini or a gin and tonic typically
1: okay I like to hear that there's something other than wine on occasion well, although
2: that's, that's definitely my go to but <laughs> I mean bubbles I pushing mean, me yep. Yeah. <laughs> every
1: day's a celebration with yes. bubbles I love bubbles too Um, what's something that people might be surprised to learn about you? You got a hidden talent Uh, that I don't know about speaking Mandarin. Maybe. Oh yeah. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) One would not guess that. Yes. And why, why do you speak Mandarin?
2: Uh, because I went to school there, um, in grad school. My first year of grad school was spent in Shanghai. And then, um, I spent another year. I opened a business in Beijing, and you know, travel back and forth. And can you
1: still speak it today? Sure. Yeah, not fluently. Not negotiate
2: a business contract like I used to. Right. But yes. No. I can get. I could eat. I could shop. Okay. <laughs> I can get around. I could. I could help you out. Okay. If I okay. study it. I had. I've had. You know, we've entertained um, people from Taiwan and China at the winery frequently, which is great. And so I've had to learn words I never had to know before, which has been really fun to be able to just greet them and welcome exactly. Them, you
1: know. Yeah. Amazing. You don't run across too many people that speak that language. So I find that fascinating. And the, and the fact that you still can occasionally use it is great. Yeah. And once
2: you live there and you start to dream in it and, you know, you you tend to remember it.
1: Tell me about one of the most challenging times in your life.
2: Uh, it probably, there are a few. of most people have uh, probably when i graduated or i was was about to graduate my undergraduate degrees in geology and uh, when i got out of school there were no jobs (laughs) and especially not for women because the only jobs are really in the middle east and i was point blank told by my professor that that would be a good fit for me um so i had student loans and you know i worked full time pretty much going through all of school and um I didn't know what I was gonna do because I, you know, I was working in the restaurant business, which was great, but it wasn't gonna be able to pay the rent plus payback student loans plus, you know, all the other things in one's life. So that was really a, a turning point for me in trying to figure out what the heck was I gonna do next.
1: And so what did you do?
2: <laughs> I went to China. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Took on more student loan debt
1: and got a master's degree.
2: Uh, but, you know, the important thing about China, too, is that because I'd put myself through school for 10 years and worked in business and I'd been a manager and a maitre d' and a wine steward, all these things, um, I'd manage people and, in effect, manage businesses. I didn't really realize it at the time. Right. So on top of having a science degree, I also had practical experience in business and marketing and sales. Right. And so then when I got to China and I was studying Chinese and I was watching what was going on at the embassy and the consulate and around all these amazing people and learning, you know, the Asian component of business as well, I mean, it was hugely powerful. So coming back here and doing business was easy compared to, you know, what I had encountered there. So I had no idea how much of an advantage that was going to give me. Once I then had a, you know, a pedigree, a degree to put on top of that, which helped. But um, that was the big turning point. And I, you know, I didn't know if I was making the right or the wrong choice at the time. But it was a choice, and I had to do something to defer the student loan, right? Once, <laughs> so I had to pay it back. But two, to also do something that was really practically going to get me a job when I right. got out of school, and it did, yeah, in
1: part. Wow, well, endurance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you know inventive and and um you know you found a creative way to to move forward
2: i learned a lot from the especially the people that i met in china i mean those were early days you know and there was just an influx of um really entrepreneurial people and you know they were sort of all together we used to have uh, thank god it's friday happy hours at the consulate in the embassy and it was just a conflux of the most in, interesting, fascinating people. I learned a ton. And of course, that was like networking on steroids. Again, I didn't realize it. Right. Because I was there primarily to help. Mm-hmm. Then the consulate would give me projects. And here I, you know, all of a sudden my business is like, bam, I'm, you know, here I am. Um, so you just never know how those things come together. Turn around, yeah. right.
1: Well, getting back to the Napa Valley, for you, what's the best part of living here?
2: boy, there's so many great parts of living here. The natural part of it to me is, is the most wonderful part because it's just, you know, there's, there's seasons um, and there's just so much natural beauty all around you all the time.
1: Well, let's wrap things up with what I like to call five quick questions. The idea is, of course, not to give this a lot of thought. You ready? Yep. Okay. What kind of car do you drive? uh i have three (laughs) okay which one do you drive the most
2: (laughs) i drive the mercedes suv
1: okay there you have it what designer brand do you wear the most i don't have a lot of designer brands but
2: prada is my favorite
1: okay what's your favorite dinner spot right now uh a little taco truck in sonoma (laughs) okay where was your last vacation uh, last vacation
2: was a National Park road trip okay. to Bryce, Zion, Sedona,
1: Yosemite, um, and Lake Tahoe. Wow, lots of places. And who did you last write a handwritten note to? To my sister in law to thank her for something she did that was very thoughtful. Well, Clarice, thank you so much for sitting down with us today.
2: You're welcome. My pleasure.
0: Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.